Hello, listeners, and welcome to another Around the World in 80 Drinks podcast. Thank you very much for choosing to listen to us. Once again, we're going to be whisking you away around the world to enjoy some new and interesting drinks, hopefully take you away from what might be still your lockdown isolation and improve your liquid lives. My name's Tom Sandham. I am one of the thinking drinkers, and I'm joined as ever by my fellow thinking drinker, Ben McFarland. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? I'm all right, Tom. How are you? I'm okay. I'm bearing up. Uh, it's not been a bad week, actually. A, a, a friend of mine, uh, Seamus, he lives down the road from me, but he works in the booze industry for a, for a company called Proof. They they work with aviation gin, which is Ryan Reynolds' gin. So he dropped a bottle of that in for me. Uh, so I've been enjoying some aviation gin. Uh, do you know they, they donate 30% of profits to bartenders out in America th- throughout the really? thing, which is pretty decent of them, I thought. So I've got that. And I've got some uh, East Lin- London Liquor Company gin has been delivered to me, as well as Eight Lands gin, which is a, a Scottish gin. So I'm going to probably try all three of those in a, in a martini, maybe, in a future podcast. I'll get you. I know. How are you doing? What have you been up to? Anything interesting? Um, yeah. Uh, what's going on back home? Uh, tensions have been a bit high. Uh, um, my wife and I had uh, a small argument last night about um, lost phone and whether I could be bothered to help her find it. Uh, and then she hid my mobile phone. And so we went to bed. And this was slightly amusing but sort of tense standoff. And I tried to diffuse a standoff this morning by waking her up by squirting her with a water pistol, which <laughs> listeners, wow, wow, <laughs> wow. With the benefit of hindsight yeah. uh, is not the best way of, of of alleviating any angst within a relationship. It's not. It's not the bedtime water sports I was hoping for. I'm level with you. That's no, that, uh, how no. strange of you. What a strange thing to do. Well, I, uh, I tried. I thought it would be a kind of good get up and go. Let's do this. I know it's I know it's Groundhog Day, but sun's out. Come on. Sun's out, guns out, it turns out. It was an actual water pistol. Um, but it's not gone down very well. Um, and I just went down to uh, speak to her before the podcast started. And she's, she's still, still um, unsure of why she's... I sympathize. I've been spending a lot of time watching films. Um, and uh, interestingly, I see bar scenes in films and there are many of them. I, uh, we really? could do a whole podcast on, on films with bar scenes in, which is very distressing when you're in a lockdown and there's no pub to go to. But I was watching uh, uh, Big Jack in The Shining again the other day. Um, uh, and I realised it's perfect viewing for the for the lockdown because he's essentially put himself into quarantine. And hearing about your stresses with your wife is actually he's got a lot of similar problems to us. He's got a few um, weirdo kids winding him up the whole time, yeah. having nightmares. And he's trying to write a book, isn't he? He's, he's trying, trying to write a book. book. Failing yes. to write a book. The kids are bowling around indoors on bikes, uh, which my kids have actually done. Yeah. And he's losing his rag with his wife all the time and completely irrationally. So, yeah. um, but doesn't yeah. he wake her up with a water pistol? I think he that's doesn't, an outtake. But interestingly, I did see an axe in my shed the other day. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of sympathise with him. But and weirdly, when he was still at the bar, I had a real hankering for the bar he finds himself in, even though there's no one else in it. Uh, just the, that imaginary ghost bartender, yeah. Lloyd. 
And I don't even need people right now. I just need to go to a bar and someone to serve me a drink. Uh, and it, I really, I was pining, I was pining for that scene, just alone in a bar. Uh, I, I just for, for a bit of drinks geekery, I did look into it a little bit further because he orders a, a bourbon and the bartender Lloyd serves him Jack Daniels. Oh. And stri- strictly speaking, Ben, Jack Daniels oh, would toss their, um, their whiskey as Tennessee whiskey rather than a uh, Kentucky bourbon. So, you know, hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, Did you get onto uh, some forums and set everyone straight? Well, I'm, I'm tempted to. I've also been watching the Bulls documentary on Netflix, which is enough to make you realise you haven't done much with your life. Uh, Last Dance. If anyone's seen that, my God, Michael Jordan is, is quite He's very good at basketball, isn't he? That's one thing He's I got from it. Good good um and he has um, a tequila brand as well he's been drinking a massive glass of something so i wondered what it was it's his, it's his own tequila brand which is oh, called yeah. is, that, is that the that's the glass that sat next to him when yeah. he was in the armchair i did think go on mate go on with it that's been you haven't touched that for three oh episodes. no Watch the continuity is not always spot on. It does move in terms of uh, he is definitely drinking it, but I think it's it, judging by the color of the the liquid. I think it's his extra añejo, which uh, apparently costs about thirteen hundred dollars for. Really, for a so, well, judging by the color of his eyes, which are bloodshot, I think he's been having yeah. about two bottles a night. Oh, fair play, man. He's enjoying life. He's done. He's done a fair amount of exercise uh, in in the first part of his life. I think he can chill out. So um, we, we that. Um, Whilst we were researching our Good Beer Guide West Coast USA book, um, we went to visit the the Rogue Brewery in Portland. This is back in 2006. Do you remember this, Tom? Or yeah. 2007? And um, we met a guy called Jack Joyce who set up Rogue Brewery, and he was the marketing director at Nike when they signed Michael Jordan, which um, in the documentary I didn't realize was such a gamble. Yes. Not for them, but it's for really him as well. Nike was seen as um, they were like the. They were, and I imagine like Dunlop or today or something. They're not very. I like Dunlop, but you know what I mean. They weren't the kind of the cool the cool trainers to have, but they they soon were. And he was a very very uh, yes. Well, it's interesting. interesting. He talks about wearing those old um, uh, Air Jordans when he goes back to uh, to um, New York to play for the last time, and how his feet are bleeding. And it made me think of. Um, us when we were in America walking around places like Rogue in cheap plimsolls that were cutting our feet to shreds. And I thought, wow, I've got so much in common with my Yeah, people. yeah, me too. How's your hair doing? Just a quick one on on the, the, the locks down. Is it big? Okay. Yeah, well, when my wife finally does come around to look me in the eye again, what I find is when she's looking at me, I'm talking to her, her eyes slowly rise above my forehead. <laughs> And just look at my hair, and you can see thinking, see, I think it's not my first choice. Yeah. Anyway, I've got, I've got, I've got through that to, to that stage where there's five minutes a day where actually I think, actually, I'm getting away with this. I caught myself uh, turning around quickly in, in the mirror, and uh, I thought, yes, this is like a Roger Moore in View to a Kill. This hair now, so I'm actually, I'm, I'm managing to get away with it but then it's only five minutes in the day and the rest of the day it just it needs it really does need shaving off but i can't i can't do it you know i've got well i know exactly what's going to happen if i shave if i shave my hair off the lockdown will end the next day (laughs) and then i'll just look like (laughs) finally get get a tv gig (laughs) yeah it's it's not good i've got a pea head ben's got an orange head so we can't really shave our heads um Anyway, so school was Jaffa. I had a headlock and orange. <laughs> That's not what I was. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what, we're going to start with beer this week, aren't we, Ben? Um, what beer yes. have you got to, to taste? Well, with we're heading we're heading off to a small town in Western Denmark. Um, uh, and well, the first thing I'm going to ask you, Tom, have you got a Huguenob? Um, because I don't like to boast, but I do. And I've turned my Huguenob up all the way to 11 for a visit to Svenage in Western Denmark. And Huga, I don't know if uh, Huga, as they say in Danish, is part of the Danish DNA. Huga. Do you know what it is? Huga. This is just a lifestyle choice, isn't it? Yeah, um, it is. It's a way of life, Tom, that cannot really be translated to one single English word. Mm. Since it's, I've looked it up and it's, in, it's said to encompass a feeling of cosy contentment and well-being through enjoying the simple things in life, which is something we should all be doing during lockdown. Now, on a typical Huga day, you should be up to your necks in Nordic knitwear. You should be flicking through the latest uh, hard-hitting issue of Monocle magazine uh, amid the cosy, nourishing, warm glow of flickering candles. Uh, The wood-burning stove and pomegranate noir diffuser should be on full blast. You should have a pastry in one hand and a cup of rosehip tea in the other. And you should have taken all the Andy McNabb books off the bookshelf and placed it with an old hipster typewriter. Mm. That is what living Danishly is all about. Can, can I have a can I have a bacon sandwich as well? <laughs> yeah, you can, yes, 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 yes. Back. Um, so uh, uh, basically, living Danishly involves working twenty hours a week, eating more, eating lots of pastries, and being happier and much more handsome, and spending more of your time to sitting by candles, which is again something we can be, all be doing during lockdown. Um, but to where, achieve, does beer, where does beer fit into this? Well, to achieve the highest form of huger, Tom, you're going to need a beer. That's not what the huger guide necessarily says, but let's okay. just fucking like okay. how go, go with me on this one. It's all about being in the moment. And the beer we're going to taste this week is one called Goes to Hollywood, G-O-S-E to Hollywood, and it comes from the Tuul Brewery. Um, and Tuul means two beers in Danish. And they've created a brewery and craft beverage hub in a um, a place called Svenage, which is about an hour west of Copenhagen. Now, the story of Tuol is a very interesting one. It began back in two thousand. Well, you'll be the judge of that. Yeah. <laughs> it began back in two thousand and five when the founder of Tuol, Tor Günther, uh, uh, and uh, someone else—I can't remember his bloody name now. Anyway, they were studying at a direct democracy-based high school in Copenhagen. I called the Debt Free Gymnasium. It's a high school where everyone, sort of all the students and teachers, they gather once a week and they decide what they're going to learn. And it's all very democratic and everyone has a say. It sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. But anyway, one of their teachers was a guy called Mikkel Borg Bjergso, who was gone on to become the most renowned, one of the world's most renowned iconic craft brewers. Uh, he was just getting into beer and they got the, and these two guys got the brewing bug too. And after school, they began experimenting in the, in the school kitchen with malts, hops, yeast, all that kind of stuff. And they were creating powerful, potent beers. Now, five years later, they released the first commercial beer. And up until very recently, they were what is called gypsy brewers. Um, now, uh, that essentially means that they had no brewery of their own. Um, so what they did instead, they traveled around the world and did collaborations, paying for the time, the technical expertise and the equipment of others to bring their beers to life. And they brewed most of their beers at the Proof Brewery in Belgium. And that's like a rental, state-of-the-art rental brewery with loads of hipster brewer, craft brewers and gypsy brewers and itinerant brewers uh, brew their beers. That The guy who runs it really knows his stuff. 
Um, and two all have got a huge repertoire of different beers and styles. And not they're not easy to pigeonhole in terms of style. They're hugely creative, hugely experimental. And they've got these really funky labels designed by this in-house artist called Casper Lede. And their beers are like, I mean, it's like catnip to the craft beer crowd. They love this stuff. Um, and they've got a really cool beer bar in Copenhagen, which I've been to, called Bruce, which opened in 2016. It's a brew pub in the Nerebro district, which is proper hipster territory. Um, now, the guy tour that in, in 2017, Tobias, uh, one of the guys left to explore other things. I don't know. Did they fall out? I don't know. <laughs> uh, they might have done. But anyway, Tobias has left to explore other things, and Tor uh, has gone on, on on his own. And he began looking for a brewery site, and early this year, they opened their first brewery. Um, they stopped being itinerant brewers and produced their own beers from an old ketchup factory and pickle factory in this town called Svenage. But it's not only just a state-of-the-art brewery and tap room, it's also a craft beverage hub. What? And what got... Yes, yeah, there's a new new term terminology for me. I to, well, it's, pub, called, it's a pub. <laughs> no, no, no. It's called uh, it's called Two Old City, and it's uh, basically it's this huge industrial site. They've made all funky in that, and they brought in cider producers, kombucha brewers, rum distillers, and it's basically a hub for all of the sort of Nordic anyone in that region to come together, share ideas, share inspiration, equipment, know how. Nice. So it's not um, it's not just a brewery next to, you know, uh, I don't know, sort of packaging factory. It's mm. a real hub for lots of creative drinks making. So, and they're still very keen on these collaborations, but um, having their brewery of their own, it's allowed them to focus on a core four beers that are now, thank God, available over here, which is brilliant. brilliant. And one of them is this beer. It's available at Marks and Spencers. Um, who are really up there up their game when it comes to craft beer? It's called Goes to Hollywood, and it's a fruity twist on a historic Goes style beer from Leipzig. Right now, I I, I know a bit about beer, but I'll be the, the listener on this. And the the little that I may or may not know about Goes is it's not a style of beer that I would drink no. particularly. It's for the well, it's for the geeks. Um, bit- but this already, I'm having a sip of this, and I'm already thinking. Wait a minute. Yes, well. Maybe I'll goes to Hollywood after all. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Tom. The beauty of this goes is that it doesn't really um, bear much resemblance to the historic goes style, mm-hmm. um, which goes back to the 1300s. Um, a lot of the, like a lot of the beers from centuries ago, they taste like, if they taste them now, they taste like shit. Yeah. Um, Some of them taste like they came from the 1300s. Exactly. exactly. So, yeah. But um, the ghost style hails historically from Leipzig and Lower Saxony. Um, uh, and it's traditionally it's a beer, it's a wheat beer, Bergen, uh, German wheat beer that's laced with lactic acid, coriander, and salt. Mm. Now it's sharp, it's sour, it's sometimes served with syrup um, traditionally. And mm. Bit like Keith Richards, it only just survived the 1960s because it nearly went extinct and pretty much disappeared from Germany. No one really drank it. It was a really old style of beer. Um, and in its early years, it was deli- uh, it would have been delivered to um, these goes taverns um, in frothing barrels, and locals would often chase it with a liqueur made with cumin. I mean, cumin. And um, 
and it was never more than a local niche. It went missing during World War II, slowly reemerged briefly in the 1950s, and then slipped back into the shadows during the 1960s under communist rule. Now, there are now two ghost breweries back in Leipzig, but it's really, let's face it, it's the new world brewers that have breathed life back into the style. Um, and two all are one of them. And and it's what they do, they, they've, they've, they've used uh, a bit of salt in here, but they've also brewed it with Californian orange, and it's a it's three point eight percent. And the whole idea of it is this refreshing, quite tart, slightly sour beer. It's full of citrus, citrus flavors. It's citrus, citrus. <laughs> citrus. <laughs> Sorry, I've had, I've had many. But it's, uh, but it's not very strong. I mean, it's clean. It's refreshing. It is, but it's a barbecue beer. Um, perhaps mm. before you get get onto the get your sausages. Nice and, it's got uh, that citrusy sour tang, but it's mm, not too much. Mm, it disappears. Mm. Great carbonation on there as well. And it's got a wicked can, a 440 mil can. And it's got the old test card. You know, the, uh, do you remember the test card TV thing where yes. the, uh, the, uh, the little girl with the clown? <laughs> oh, no, that was the Spectrum. So That's the Spectrum. <laughs> um, but That's it's... Great. I think it's a really good, really good beer, really balanced. It's again, it's going to take some. It's a, an acquired taste for some. If you like that slight bitterness, uh, slight sourness, this is a wonderful introduction to some more of those sour beers. But it's it's wonderful, um, mm, and they're good like guys, it. and they're doing really good stuff. But even though it's three three point eight percent, be careful because I had a few of the their, these beers and a couple of their stronger beers. And then stupidly, I tried to um, try to put up some shelves um, whilst I had one of these two old beers in my hand, and I totally, I totally fucked it up. I made a complete mess. And all now, I put the books on them, and they all just slide off and fall on, fall onto the floor. Yeah. Uh, I think it's the beer's fault. Bad workmanship. Bad workman always blames his tools, tools, tools. Um, but uh, yeah, I think if you are wondering about drinking too much, then perhaps don't have this and then have the drink that I'm going to suggest because I'm going to move us on to a Manhattan cocktail. Right. Uh, and if you think there's a drink to put you on your bottom, uh, it'll be too many of these. I'm mixing it up a bit this, literally mixing it up a bit uh, this week, um, the, moving from a spirit into a cocktail. I thought listeners might like to try and use one of these spirits in a drink. And uh, the Manhattan is a drink that I particularly enjoy. Do you like the Manhattan, Ben? Are you a fan of Manhattan? I love a Manhattan. It's one of my favourite cocktails. It is a very, very good drink. I've got a lot of affection for it because I've spent a lot of the years as a drinks writer going back and forth to New York because New York is a bit of a spiritual home for cocktails historically and in a, what we're going through at the moment, which is a more recent sort of 30 year renaissance of cocktail culture. New York has been driving that renaissance. They've been leading the way. We've sort of rediscovered proper cocktails, a bit like the craft brewing movement. There's been a craft cocktail movement over there in, in New York and it's inspired the rest of the world to, to follow suit, especially in London. We've, we've, we've really upped our, our cocktail game. Um, so as a result, they got plenty of exceptional cocktail bars and, and on a couple of trips that I took to, at New York as a as a, a cutting edge drinks journalist, um, I went courtesy of the American whiskey company Woodford Reserve, which is why today I've suggested you get a bottle of the uh, Woodford Reserve um, uh, Kentucky Kentucky Straight Bourbon for your Manhattan. So if you have some now, pour a little in because it's a great right. bourbon to be drinking neat anyway. So why don't you have a sip on that while I Thank give it? A, it's a lovely looking bottle, Tom. 
Yeah, it's a beautiful Woodford is is a, probably a distillery we will return to because I've got some uh, insights into how it's made, and we can do a wider thing on American whiskey. But for now, I'll just sip on that, um, and I can talk through the the Manhattan. Um, and Woodford took me out there to to New York uh, on a couple of trips with some of the UK's best bartenders. Uh, and uh, and we enjoyed a cocktail bar safari, which was called Manhattan's in Manhattan. Uh, and in case that needs uh, any extra extra, extra explanation, I, I just say that's uh, we just drank Manhattan's in Manhattan, and it, it was a good place to go. There's a lot of drinks history in Manhattan that go precedes cocktail culture. In fact, the first Europeans arrived there they discovered the natives weren't drinking anything at all. And the Europeans were stopping off on the East Coast sometimes because they ran out of beer. So they discovered the natives, they were there not drinking, they were just living in wigwams and teepees. They were just two tents. Yes. So the Europeans opened lots of bars. And in fact, there is a story that the Europeans subsequently drank so much that the natives were watching them uh, in Manhattan. They named the island they were on Manhachatanenk. Manhattanink. Yes, there we go. Thank you, Ben. And that means um, Island of the High, or it was translated as Drunk People. They saw no way. Uh, later shortened to Manhattan's, but they saw Manhattan Island as a place where there were a lot of drinkers. So there, there we go. There's a, a bit of real historical context for, for the Manhattan drinking sea. These days, you've got loads of these great bars. Um, it's fair to say that a drinks trip for drinks journalists uh, over the last 20 years. It's changed a bit, hasn't it, Ben? Um, when I was doing these Manhattans in Manhattan trip, um, they were slightly different to how you do it now. The industry has uh, addressed responsible drinking, lent it, uh, its support to these causes. We now advocate drink less, drink better. I know, it's uh, terrible, isn't it? <laughs> back then, though, it was acceptable to go to 10 bars in one night and drink 10 Manhattan cocktails. Um, I was out there with Jake Berger, who you know well. Jake mm-hmm. uh, he ran bars like Jake's Bar and Leeds, Portobello Star in London. He now distills Portobello Gin, great gin. Uh, Bo Myers, who you also know, who did a kebab book with us, a legend of the Manchester bar scene. He was running a socio rehab, a great cocktail bar back in the day. Uh, Paul Mant was there. He was a manager of Quo Vardis, one of the best bars in the world at the time. Now he's over in Australia. He runs 31 bars for the Merivale Group. So these were big hitters. And essentially, we walked around some of the best bars in New York. Um, Nadal uh, Ramini, who was the the, the the big wig at uh, Brown Foreman. He's still there, looks after the American whiskies. Um, he ordered the drink. So we sat in a corner and we drank Manhattans and we discussed the Manhattan uh, and other nonsense. And um, and we picked a winner. So that was it. That was, I wrote, I did write it up, uh, but that was my trip and uh, extraordinary, it's really. Such a key worker. <laughs> such a key worker. I can't believe Boris Johnson didn't mention you. Why are we not in that list? people that have kept the country going. Why, Ben? Why are we not in that That's list? Such a captain of industry. Yeah. Sitting in bars, drinking whiskey. Writing about it. Don't forget <laughs> that. Um, but we, the bar that actually won was a bar called Please Don't Tell. Still a bar that, that's uh, hopefully going to be reopening after the lockdown. A great, it was very cool at the time. It seemed exceptionally cool. They uh, they have a phone booth in a Criff Dogs hot dog shop, and you access the bar through the phone booth, the secret wall. Um, and it's kind of speakeasy stuff, which seems a bit passe now. The rest of the world has had a go at it, but actually in New York, it's still appropriate, and I still think that's a, that's a very cool way into a bar. Uh, we went to Death & Co, Marian, Marian uh, Mandarin Oriental Bar, which is overlooking the park, employees only, and old school bars like the King Cole Bar at St. Regis. So when we're out of this lockdown, I highly recommend a Manhattan's in Manhattan tour of some of the great cocktail bars. 
Um, but what the experience did for me in terms of the Manhattan cocktail is it's taught me that there's a, a quite a, a subtle, nuanced set of flavor gears when it comes to making a drink like this. And uh, although we had uh, the same drink in 10 bars, it was amazing how different that each of the, the drinks were, even using the same bourbon. They were all using Woodford Reserve, but they had different vermouths or slightly more dilution or different bitters. Um, so the Manhattan cocktail is a bit like a martini in that respect. It's, it's a cocktail that's simple but easy for you to balls up it's simple but perfectly balanced it's it dates all the way back to well they they think the 1860s a bit like the martini it's one of those that's very tricky to give full credit to anyone for its invention it appeared in print for the first time in around 1882 but one source suggested a man named black at the Metropolitan Hotel in New York in the 1860s was mixing it there's also an anecdote to suggest that it was first made first served um, at the Manhattan Club as a celebratory drink for Governor Samuel Tilden's um, electoral win in 1874. So they served it up in his honour, which might not sound like a massively interesting anecdote, except the party was hosted by Jenny Jerome. Do you know who Jenny Jerome is, Ben? I don't know. Oh, JJ. It's Winston Churchill's mum. So they really? there was a, a rumour going around for a long time that Winston Churchill's old dear had made the uh, Manhattan um unfortunately it was later discovered uh by mr wandridge a great cocktail historian that churchill's mum was actually in england at the time having just given birth to winston which i imagine was no mean feat um <laughs> and uh, that kind of dispels the myth but anyway the recipes changed a lot over the time originally they were using rye whiskey we're going to use a bourbon slightly sweeter they would have been putting absinthe in there um yeah don't do anymore no. would have been using, uh, orange bitters in there and some, today we've suggested angostura bitters um so so it's changed a bit which means you can play around with it as well if you're ordering one in a bar and you see the term sweet dry or perfect just to say a manhattan that just simply refers to the style of vermouth so a sweet manhattan uses sweet vermouth dry manhattan dry vermouth and a perfect manhattan is an equal split between dry and sweet. I'm suggesting sweet with our bourbon today. I know Woodford is a solid choice, having had all those Woodford Manhattans on that trip. But uh, I'm also going with a sweet of vermouth because I think it's a nice entry level for this cocktail. It's actually how I'd prefer to have it, but I think also if you're new to it, it's a nice softer uh, entry into this into this drink. And I've gone for the Chazalette, uh, the Rosso, the red Chazalette um, vermouth. A very, very good vermouth. Um, you can read a bit about that on a piece of recently written for the Telegraph if you if you have a look on there and it tells you a bit more about this vermouth. Um, so while we're talking through those ingredients, um, I thought we'd make one, Ben. Are you, are you ready I'm to... I'm ready, mate. I've got all the ingredients. Okay. Yeah. okay, so what you're going to need is 50 mil of the bourbon, okay. 20 mil of the sweet vermouth. You're going to have around two dashes of Angostura bitters, Yep. And you're going to garnish with a maraschino uh, cherry as well. All those I've not got the cherry. I've not got the cherry. That's does okay. That too much. Not, not, well, I kind of it kind of does because I think that some of the juice from the maraschino is adds a bit of sweetness to it. So, listeners, I would suggest it is an essential addition to the drink. But Ben, uh, well, let's be all honest. All I've got is a sassafras. for the last ten minutes, so you're probably not as bothered. Um, we're going to be pouring it into a cocktail glass or a coupe. Now, I'm using um, this sort of baby sham coupe glass that I got, and that's because it's uh, it's about 150 ml of liquid it holds, and you don't really want a massive glass of this. So those measurements are going to deliver something over 100 ml in that glass, and that it doesn't sound like a lot of liquid, but this is a punchy cocktail. Um, so you'll need a mixing glass and ice. And the first thing to do is really to fill 
that with ice. At the same time, fill your cocktail glass or your coupe with ice and a bit of water to get it chilling because you want a chilled glass. And then uh, simply take the 50 ml of your uh, Kentucky bourbon, stick that into the mixing glass over the ice, then do the same with the 20 ml of sweet vermouth. And then you're going to stir this. We're not going to shake it, which is why it's in a mixing glass. And you're going to stir that nicely for about three minutes. Um, three minutes? Yeah, well, it depends what ice you've got. There's a big debate, a mass debate in the, the bar world about quality ice. It has been for the last 10 years. Um, if you've got really wet ice, you don't want to stir it for too long. But what you're trying to do is get it properly chilled, but without too much water because um, you don't want to dilute all the lovely flavours. So if you're stirring it for about three minutes with good ice, or maybe about two minutes, until you you can see, you can taste it as you go. Um, obviously, don't um, double dip, uh, especially in these coronavirus days. Uh, but so if you're making it for other people, don't use the same spoon to taste it. Um, but you'll be able to see, see how chilled it is and whether it's diluted to the way you want it uh, after about two minutes. I once interviewed a bartender who claimed that you should carefully stir the ice because you didn't want to bruise it. And at the time, I thought, <laughs> "Wow, I'm that calling is... bullshit on that." I, I, call, I call big bullshit on that. No, the point of the ice, the point of the ice debate is really whether it's good ice. Now, now this will sound a bit uh, over the top to some people, but what I've started doing is, is sticking a, a bottle of um, mineral water that I've bought in the freezer in its in its container and um and what you end up with is a massive block of sort of quite nicely transparent ice in, and actually that lasts a long time so you'd put a chunk of that in there something like an old-fashioned and it will actually stay there for a long time keep well, the drink so you, you take a you take a plastic bottle of mineral uh, mineral water and then bung in the freezer and, and then cut, cut, cut out cut it open with an axe ah. Um, yeah. okay. the shining that's what i found to do with the axe. <laughs> uh, so yeah you, you, you ice matters if you're using really really sloppy sort of already melting ice it's going to add a load of water to your drink and you don't want a lot of dilution um so mine's been sat there for too long already but i'm going to okay. actually no, looking good i've got ice for my fridge i've got a fancy fridge don't okay. Well, strain it. You want to strain it in there. You don't want a big load of ice in your drink. Okay. Some people talk about double straining so you don't get any shards of ice in there, which you can do if you want to be uh, particularly pedantic about it. But I've just strained that into um, the glass, and then I'm just going to pop the maraschino ch- cherry in there with a spoon, and it's got a little bit of the of the um, maraschino uh, sweetness around it, the, the liquid around it. Um, and that And that is that. If you've got it in your chilled cocktail glass, Ah, it should be nice and chilled now. Ah, that is oh, smashing. I would say that. Um, you can't see it, so you've got no idea, listener, if it's good or bad. But it works. It works no, mine is, I've got to say that is it's such a good drink. It is. It's, it's a very, drink. very tasty it's, beverage. It's, I don't want to say alcohol can solve problems because it really can't. In many ways, they, it can exacerbate them. Mm, but after, it's a bit like, After yeah. a long day on lockdown... It's not bad, if you want a special treat, make one of these and just stare into the middle distance and enjoy it. Oh, yeah, good. I mean, it's a bit like money, isn't it? They say money can't give you happiness and drinks can't solve your problem. But if I had more money and more of those in my life, it would it be better. Even, be even, even just for a bit, it would be yeah. better. Yeah. Might so to recap, 
<laughs> yeah, depending on how many you drink. And like I said, that's about 100 mil of, of liquid I've got in my glass, and that's that's a nice amount. It's a punchy drink, so one or two of those is more than enough. Um, yeah. But to recap, I used the Woodford in Woodford Reserve in there, so that's £32.95 on Whiskey Exchange. I used the Chazalette uh, Rosso della Regina vermouth which is great accent tom i know i don't know what it was but it was an accent 22 pounds 75 from the whiskey exchange you can get angostura bitters in there oh my god yes i was adding angostura bitters i didn't even say that out loud i don't think listeners you've got to put two dashes of angostura too late now isn't it you dumb dumb (laughs) go back do it again (laughs) skull that one go back and put two dashes of angostura bitters in i i I did do it it does make a difference um and the maraschino cherries they're all all that kit can be found on the whiskey exchange and they sell it as part of a bundle with a with better guidance on how to make your cocktail in fact um so you can do it all in one place which is very very convenient all the tools can be found there as well so that was the manhattan and next week ben i'm going to be before you recap and tell us i'm going to be having um something from mexico we're going to go back to mexico after our first jaunt there with the corona beer at the beginning of all this i'm going to be drinking ocho tequila um so if there are any listeners here who don't like tequila we will convert you um if you've had a bad experience we'll we'll gently guide you back into one of the world's great spirits categories so we're going to have an ocho blanco a bit more assertive than a reposado or an agieco but it's good for cocktails as well and you can get a 50 cl bottle slightly smaller bottle you can get that for for 22 pounds 45 on a whiskey exchange so get that ahead of next week's pod and you ben well tom it's a good question i'd um i hadn't actually thought i forgot about this bit um i'm gonna do i'm gonna say we're gonna try goose island Bourbon County Stout. Oh, nice. Nice from link. Chicago. Uh, um, Chicago. From Chicago. Let me, let me just check. We can get this online. Hang on a Bear with me. Bear with me. Because well, it's well, all um, uh, I should also say, if you've enjoyed this podcast, can you please leave some nice comments and reviews uh, in the appropriate places underneath the podcast? Uh, if you didn't enjoy it, um, don't bother follow us on social media at thinking drinks on twitter thinking drinkers on facebook and instagram and just send us pictures of what you're drinking uh if if you've thought of any better jokes we're always interested in those uh, but it's nice to know that people are trying it um so have you discovered ben is it available online it's not so we're going somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> we're going to go back to california california um, we're going to go to sierra nevada brewery um, oh. sierra nevada pale ale Oh, um, and that traffic is more it's easy to get easy to get hold of and it is damn nice so oh, all the details it. will be below the podcast but yes please do tell everyone you know about this podcast it's really important if if everyone who listens tells 10 people about how great this is and then they tend to tell 10 people and then they tell 10 people it will spread much like, like COVID-19 but with better a better outcome for all involved yeah okay that's our podcast thank you very much for listening we look forward to trying more with you next week cheers cheers Cheers.